All right, 1 Corinthians chapter number 15, 1 Corinthians 15, and uh, it's a good chance we're going to break this uh, particular chapter up. It's, it's very long. Uh, it's like 58 verses, so we may end up breaking it up to about 30, 30 today or right under 30 and then finish up the next time. So I appreciate the Lord, the good day that we've had, and uh just looking forward to a good week in Him, and uh, I trust that you've um, had had a good day. And uh, Lord willing, we should be back on with in-person Bible study on Wednesday night, continuing in uh, the tongues and the Spirit of uh, God, the Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost uh, differences uh, in in the spelling, and so got a lot going on. And uh, looking forward to uh, all that God has in store for us. Paul now having to deal with the resurrection. So much in Corinth. So much. He is, uh, He's. I mean, man, this has been a, uh, I, I knew it would be an undertaking. I knew we would be dealing with a lot of things. And, um, and boy, have we. And we've been in the, uh, the tongue issue um, here and, and kind of been studying it on, on study nights. But uh, now we're headed into uh, 1 Corinthians 15, and now Paul is having to talk about the resurrection of these folks. They're, they're just, they're extremely young, they're extremely naive. And it's important when studying the Bible that that we don't always take a Western look. Well, when I mean Western, I mean the Western half of the continent, not America. Or an American idea of what we think the Scriptures are teaching. And um, we are somewhat spoiled living in the South and most of us have grown up in Bible-believing churches or at least been around them. And we know what we know. We know a good portion of the Bible even before we get saved sometimes. And these folks don't. These folks are clueless. These folks are heathens. They have been agnostic. And, and they get saved. And so now Paul's teaching them about the resurrection. Moreover, brethren... Moreover, would refer to what he was just speaking of. This would be more than what I was just saying. I declare unto you the gospel, which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I have delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He's giving the gospel right here. Paul is teaching us what the gospel is. Okay, this is this is a gospel message. All right, and he was buried, and that he rose again the third day. Look, according to the Scriptures. So. This is the death on the cross, and it, it fulfilled God's righteous demands. They were fully satisfied, but then because of His resurrection, you and I that are guilty sinners can receive salvation that He purchased. So this is the gospel, that He died, 
he was buried, and he rose again. Not only that, now we take it into the proof. We got according to the scriptures, verse 4, but then he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. So 13 right there, after that he was seen of above 500 brethren at once. So there was an occasion when Jesus was not only seen of Cephas, he was not only seen of the twelve, but at one time, one sitting, he was seen of 500 people at one time. That's a lot of folks. 500 people is a lot of folks. You know, we got 70. Well, we have somewhere between 50 and 60 when everybody's there, you know, special occasion, pushing a little more than that. Think about 500 people. 500 people is a lot of folks. And after the resurrection, he was seen on one occasion above 500 people at one time, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are falling asleep. Paul said, look, the ones that were there are alive. You can go ask them. So what he's doing, he is making proof of the resurrection. I read a book one time called The Case for Christ, and it was about a, it was, it's, I rec- highly recommend it, and uh, it was about a, an investigative journalist, Lee, and, uh, Lee Strobel. He was an atheist, and he, he was an investigative journalist for the Chicago Tribune. His wife got saved, and he hated it. He hated everything about it. So he took his, his investigative journalist skills and abilities, and he set out to disprove Christianity. And what basis or where would you start if you were going to try to disprove Christianity? You would, you would do so with the resurrection because if you don't have a resurrection, you've got nothing. If you don't have a resurrection, you've got a man that just died on the cross and that was it. Okay? And when he set out to disprove the resurrection, you know what he found? found out was 100% accurate. He got saved and now he's a, he's a, he's a preacher. He's a, he's a preacher and he's an evangelist and uh, teaches the scriptures, writes books, does a great job. So my point is, if we don't have the resurrection, we've got nothing. And so Paul is making a point here to let them know that he was seen of Cephas, he was seen of the twelve. Then he was seen at above uh, with more than 500 people at one time in one setting. And most of them people are alive at this writing. In other words, you can go ask them. After that, he was seen of above 500 brethren of once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present. But some are falling asleep. After that, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. And last of all, he was seen of me also, as of one born out of due time. Again, Paul is making reference to his apostleship. When did Paul see Jesus? Anybody answer that for me? Well, number one, on the day he got saved, and then number two, when he was called up to the third heaven. And so that's what he's he, he's talking about here. And he he begins to speak about, you know, the the raising of the dead and and the resurrection of Christ. And so he says here, born out of due time. So he didn't see him when the other apostles did. Because of this, a lot of people were questioning the apostleship of Jesus or of Paul. 
They were saying, look, if a requirement of being an apostle is that you, you had to see the resurrected Christ, how could you? You didn't get saved till later. And Paul goes on and he, and he tells them, look, here's, here's what I've seen him. I was called up to the third, of, third heaven. I have seen the resurrected Christ. So now he, here he goes, verse number 9, For I am the least of the apostles, then am not meet to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. He says, I have a checkered, a very terrible past, but by the grace of God I am what I am. And that's all of us. By the grace of God we are what we are, nothing more, nothing less. And his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. In other words... That's a great statement right there. Let me let me belabor that. Let me teach that a little bit. The grace that was bestowed upon Paul, Paul said was was not in vain, and it it wasn't to be wasted. And you know that's a that's a challenging statement. Is is the fact that when we've been given grace, have we made the most of it? Have we been made the most of the blessings that we've been given. Paul said, look, I was an apostle born out of due time, and the grace that was given to me, I made the absolute most of it that I could possibly make of it. And he said it was not in vain. The fact that he saved me, the fact that he called me and he's using me, it's not going to be in vain. And that's a challenge to all of us. Don't let him save us in vain. Don't let him... Uh, bestow grace upon us in vain. He said, so I labored more abundantly than everyone. He says, I felt like I was uh, challenged, uh, kept behind the eight ball a little bit based on the fact that I, you know, I was, I was an apostle born out of due time. So I've just made up my mind and made it my effort to labor more than all the rest. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether it were I or they, so we preach, and so ye believe. Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? So Jesus preached it. They say they're Christians, but there's still some of them saying, you know what, we don't know about this resurrection stuff. But if there be no resurrection of the dead... Then is Christ not risen. So he's saying here, look, Christ has to be risen. Christ has to be rose from the dead. Okay? For us to have a a salvation, for us to have a, a religion even, for us to have a walk to, to Christianity, there has to be the resurrection of the dead. That's, there's, there's no way around it. That's that's home base, if you please. That's the foundation. The verse four, and if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. If he's not risen, it's all in vain. We're we're doing this for nothing. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up. If so be that the dead rise not, for if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. You're yet in your sins. You've not been forgiven. You've not been changed. There's no new life. You're still in your sins. 
if Christ is not raised from the dead. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. So they're they're done. They're annihilated. They're rotted, and that's it. So what what he's doing here is he is laying total claim and importance to what the resurrection is, and he's saying if there's no resurrection, there's no Christianity. If there's no resurrection, there's no forgiveness of sins. If there's no resurrection, then this is all in vain. And he said, not only that, those that have fallen asleep, those that have died, they've just perished. Now, this is what I like. This is how he teaches this. This is how he highlights this. This is how he kind of emphasizes this. This next verse, verse 15. If in this life only... If in this life only we have hope in Christ, then we are of all men most miserable. That is one of my favorite verses in all of the Word of God. And what it is, it is a, it's kind of a, it's, a, it's an encouragement. It's, it's a truth reality. It's, it's the Word of God. And he's saying that, look, this life is tough there are, there are problems, there are difficult days, there are tough days, there are hard times, there's storms, there's battles, there's the world, the flesh, the devil, everything that we fight. And so if the only hope we've got is, is in this life, then we are of all men the most miserable. We're more miserable than everybody. We've got a false hope, a false God, a false Christ. You know, we... We're, we're frowned upon in the world. We're not of the world. So if the only hope we've got is Jesus Christ in this life, then we're miserable people. But that's not it. That's not it. We're, he, Paul is trying to teach us to not live for this life. Because if, if we live and our hope is all in this life, then you better believe it. You bet your bottom dollar we are going to be miserable people. But our hope is not wrapped up in this life. And that's, that's what he's saying here. Verse, and I said it's verse 15, it's verse 19. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. Verse 20, but now is Christ risen from the dead. Now, here's another great verse. And became the first fruits of them that slept. So the first fruits are those uh, those fruits, you know, if you've got a garden or you've had a garden or you've had a fruit tree or a nut tree, it's the first, the, the first gleanings, the first things that pop out. He said, Christ is the first fruits, but there's many other come. You know, that's the beauty of it. There's when you get the first fruits, you get one here, one there. They're juicy. You're excited. That's Jesus. But what comes out after the first fruits? A huge harvest. The bulk of the harvest. And that's it. That's us. Jesus came out as the first fruit, the excitement, the forerunner, the, the, the beauty of all of this. But guess what comes next? The full harvest. All of us that are in Christ Jesus come out after the first fruit. So we're resurrected as well of them that slept. For since by man came death, that's Adam, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. So death came by Adam. Now a man, Christ Jesus, 
brings the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die. We're all going to die because of Adam. Because we're all in Adam. Even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But that's only in Christ. Okay? We're going to be made alive and made alive forever, resurrected from the dead in Christ. We die in Adam, but in Christ we resurrect. Isn't that great? Man, this is exciting. But every man in his own order, Christ the first fruits, afterward they that are Christ at his coming. So when he returns, when he returns, we all come together as the first fruits, the rapture, the co- the catching away, the resurrection of the dead. Then cometh the end, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom of God, even the Father. There you go. There's your order of events. What when? When does the end come? After the resurrection, at the return of Jesus Christ. Do you see that? That's simple stuff right there. Then cometh the end. When he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put... You know, there's a lot of talk about the end of the world right now. A lot of talk about Armageddon right now. A lot of talk about, is this the end right now? Can I tell you? It may be leading that way, but not before the resurrection. Not before the return. Not before he calls us up to be with him. Uh, verse number 24, Then cometh the end when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. Thank God. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. So he's going to defeat the devil. He's going to defeat the world, the Antichrist, the world system. And finally, he's going to forever defeat death forevermore throughout because we're going to live with him throughout all of eternity. So, verse 27, For he hath put all things under his feet, that speaks of his authority, but when he saith all things are put under him, it is manifest that he is accepted, which did put all things under him. When all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the Son also himself by subject unto him that put all things under him, that God may be all in all. Else, what shall they do which are baptized for the dead? If the dead rise not at all, why are they then baptized for the dead? And why stand we in jeopardy every hour? I protest by your rejoicing, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die daily. Paul said, every day I die to this flesh that I might live for Jesus Christ and I'll walk in resurrection. If after the manner of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantageth it me if the dead rise not? Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Be not deceived. Evil communication corrupt good manners. Learn how to talk. <laughs> Learn how to talk and say what's right. Awake to righteousness and sin not, for some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. You see all of this. Okay? Do you see this? I think we got a little time. I want us to jump to verse 35. Verse 35, because there's a couple verses I want to show you here. Verse 35, but some men will say, how are the dead raised up? So there's the next question. This resurrection of the dead business, how is it going to happen? And with what body do they come? 
Thou fool, which thou sowest is not quickened, except it die. And that thou sowest, thou sowest not that the body shall be, but here, but bear grain. It may chance of wheat or of some other grain, but give, God giveth it a body, as it hath pleased him, and to every seed his own body. All flesh is not the same, but there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of beasts, another of fishes, and another of birds. So all these different fleshes. Now, something I want to show you. There are celestial bodies. This is all of God's creation mentioned here. Look, we've got the flesh of men, the flesh of beasts. That's, you know, cats, dogs, cows, you know, whatever. Another of fishes. And another of birds, the fowl of the air. But now this gets interesting. Verse 40, there are celestial bodies. What's that? The angelic bodies. And bodies terrestrial. Bodies terrestrial. Hmm. That's interesting. Do, do you see that? There are bodies, he, he says it, celestial and terrestrial. Okay, so... Paul is allowing for a lot to, you know, this this speaks of relating to the earth. Now, the celestial bodies is that of the angelic bodies. And then terrestrial means of the earth. So there's, there's bodies that have been created. Because here's the thing, he's already referred to man. So these are other created beings that are relate in relation to earth as well as in relation to the celestial bodies. Now we, we don't always see this. We may experience their presence in some manner, you know, it, and it's not as you feel them or as you hear them or you see something moving across a room, but in the form of protection and fighting for us. And so that's encouraging to us. Bodies celestial, bodies terrestrial. And the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars. For one star differeth from another is glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. What does that mean? There's just as there's variances in the creative world, there's there's variances and variables in all of creation. So is our resurrection. Okay, it's going to happen. In, you know, it's going to happen in different. It's going to be in the same manner. But I'm going to resurrect and move beyond my body of sin. You will as well. Okay, in in a different way. Same same mode of it. But I'm saying. The sins and the baggage that you rise from and you get up from are different sins and baggage that may be what I would. I want to make sure that's that's clear. Um, let's look here, verse 43. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. When we are sown in the ground, it is a weak and frail and dishonorable body. It is a body that has been broken and ravished by death. But when it's resurrected, look, it's raised in power. It's raised in glory. It's raised a, look, it is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. So what comes up out of the grave is our 
souls, our spiritual bodies. That body, that physical body, lays in the grave and it rots in dishonor and in defeat and in in detestability, but it's raised in glory like Jesus Christ. What a day. So it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. That's how God made him. Do you see that? We are what we are as our souls. We're souls. That's, that's how we're numbered. That's how we are. So the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. Okay, last Adam being Jesus Christ. Howbeit, that was first, not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural. And afterwards, that which is spiritual. The first man is of the earth, earthy. That means he come from the earth. Second man is the Lord from heaven. As it is in the earthly, earthy, such is also the earthy. And as is the heavenly, such is also they that are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the earthy, we also shall bear the image of the heavenly. Thank God. Just as we were created from the dust of the earth and the image of that, we're going to be created, recreated in the image of the glory of God in the heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the earthly, or uh, verse 50, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit corruption. So this is a spiritual birth. This is a spiritual experience. This is a spiritual occurrence and happening. Behold, now based on that, I show you a mystery. Okay, you want a mystery? You want the answer to the mystery? You want the mystery solved? I'm getting ready to show it to you, Paul says. We shall not all sleep. So he has spent this entire chapter talking about death and resurrection, the entire chapter about uh, being sown in the ground and coming up out of the ground of dishonor and disloyalty and death, but he's going to raise us in glory. Now watch this. Here's the answer to the mystery. We're not all going to sleep. All of us aren't going to die. Some aren't going to die, but we shall all be changed. Now, what does that sound like to you for anybody that doesn't teach or believe a rapture, a a catching away? Everybody's not meeting Jesus Christ by death. Now, watch. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, the dead shall be raised incorruptible. There they go. And we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption. This mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, this mortal shall put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, and always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain. So what did Paul teach all of this for? He taught all of this to let them know that you're not laboring in vain. You're not going to church in vain. You're not doing this in vain. You're not saved in vain. You're not giving in vain. You're not being faithful to the house of God in vain. None of what you're doing is in vain. This should be an encouragement 
It should be something that you, you do out of a labor of love, but it's not in vain because we're all going to be changed. Some are going by death. Some are going by rapture. But it's going to happen for every single one of us. We're going to be called up to meet the Lord and to ever be with Him. So what that should be our motivating force. That should be our drive. That should be why we do what we do. The fact that we're no longer in our sins. And one day He's changing these vile bodies, these sinful bodies that we reside in to be just like His glorious body. What an encouragement. What a podcast. What a time together and a hope. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But it's not just in this life. It's in the life to come. I hope you've enjoyed 1 Corinthians. And we got one more chapter to go. And we'll move on to 2 Samuel. Hope you have a good week. And we will talk to you very, very soon. Hopefully on in person on Wednesday night. Good night. God bless. Love you all.